Church, as we continue to worship, I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to uh, Psalm 119 this morning, Psalm 119. I read a story of two teenagers in Los Angeles that ended up going on a hike in Falls Canyon. If you're not familiar with Falls Canyon, it, it overlooks the Los Angeles skyline. It's adjacent, at least at the, at the time of the story, it was adjacent to a, a bustling shopping mall. So it's uh, adjacent to a really populous area. These two teenagers get into Falls Canyon, and they don't have a map. They don't have a compass. Uh, eventually, their cell phones die, and they are lost. They are trapped. Now, the irony of this is they eventually are found by a search party. Just a few days later, they're completely dehydrated, completely disoriented. But the vegetation of Falls Canyon is such that they're 500 feet from a, from a main road there, but they could not see it. They could not hear. They couldn't get their orientation right. They, they were off the beaten path. They, they were lost, but yet so close. They were turned around. And that can happen. It, it, it can happen in your life and my life. Not, not, I'm not talking necessarily here about, about your hiking adventures or, or misadventures. I'm, I'm talking about the point that, that you can be so close to the bustling and the busyness of family and friends, the, 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 the bustling and the busyness of work and school, but yet you can spiritually get off the right path. You can lose your way. It can happen to any and every one of us. We, we are fallen creatures. We are prone, as the hymn writer says, we are prone to wander. Aren't you thankful that as followers of Jesus, he has given us a light, he has given us a lamp, he has given us a compass, he's given us a map to be able to guide our way, that, that he doesn't leave us here on earth to, to find our way in life, but yet he gives us a clarity, he gives us guidance, he gives it to us in many ways, but one of the primary ways that he does it is in and through his word. Psalm 119 is our guide this morning that reminds us that the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We don't have to wander aimlessly. There is a, a guide for your life and, and my life when we open God's Word and we submit to God's Word, we obey God's Word, we listen to His voice. He desires to lead us, to, to guide our steps. As you're looking at Psalm 119, a couple of things will, will just jump off the page at you. One is, is it's long. It's 176 verses long. It is sort of a, a bearer to preach because if I just read Psalm 119, all the verses, it would take me about 13 minutes. I tried it actually. 1325 is what it would take me, which I've got 30 minutes. I've got 30 minutes here. So uh, what I want to do is look at some of the sections of Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Psalter, the 150 Psalms. It's the longest chapter in the entire Bible. It's why the German reformer Martin Luther would call it the little Bible. But it relishes, and there's a one resounding theme, and that is that the Word of God is true. The Word of God is valuable, and the Word of God is a light that illumines our steps. Let's look at it together. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 7 says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. 
You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. That shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem. There's 22 Uh, letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and each of these sections will start from Aleph to Tav. It is not just a literary device the psalmist employs for us to say, oh, how cute and how creative. The, The form of the psalm, it shapes the meaning of the psalm, it is as if, as if the psalmist is saying that the word of God speaks from Aleph to Tav. It, it speaks to, from, from A to Z. It is exhaustive. It is, it is comprehensive. That there's, there's no aspect of your life that is off limits to the illumination of God's word. It isn't that we isolate our life and say that God's Word cannot speak to my family life, cannot speak to my work life, it can't speak to my hobbies. That the Word of God, as we read here in Psalm 119, it speaks to us. Now notice, that, notice the, the repetition of this theme in the first seven verses here. One aspect of Hebrew poetry is a repetition utilizing synonyms for the, the same word. The, notice the, the different words in these first seven verses that describe the word of God. The law, the testimonies, the precepts, the statutes, the commandments, the rules, all are a different way to describe the first five books of the Bible and what you, describe, what you discover there. Uh, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible have commandments, they have rules, testimonies that are before us. And what we discover is, is that the, the, the psalmist wants us to see that this is God's law, his commandments. You might know this about the Hebrew language, but it doesn't have uh, possessive punctuation. So if you're reading through Hebrew, you don't have God, apostrophe S, like God's word. No, you have the law of the Lord. That reminds us that, that the Bible is God's word. You have your commandments, your precepts, your righteous rules. And it's just, it's just a, a, a reminder to us that what we have in not only the first five books of the Bible, but what we have in all of the Bible that as we have it before us is that this is not a human invention. This is not a sociological experiment. This is not an inspired book like the Odyssey or the Iliad or, or Shakespeare's sonnets or, 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 or uh, Hemingway or, or, whatever, or, or whatever writer that, that it seems to be uh, struck by the muse of creative inspiration. No, this is a book that is inspired by God himself, written through human authors. No denying that. It is, it is there, 1,600 years. It spans from Genesis to Revelation, approximately 40 writers, three different languages, uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, three different continents. I mean, we, we have the diversity of human author with the divine author that is behind all of it. I love the way Paul, writing to his protege in the ministry, Timothy, would talk not just about the law, first five books, but talks about the Bible as we have it. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21 says, for no prophecy was produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we have God's Spirit breathing out the word of God through human instrumentation using their language, their context, 
an understanding that was embedded in a, a particular culture, but God authoring it behind these human authors and through these human authors. We live in a day and age where, where the, it's hard to know if this is accurate, but it sure does seem that it is true that there's never a time where we must be more discerning about the sources of our information. That there are individuals that desire to do, be deceitful in the information that is shared. There, there are nations that desire to be deceitful in the, nation, in the information that is shared to sort of splinter people and, to, and confuse people. And, to, and, and so, so we've got to be men and women that are discern, discerning of our sources. There, there's a lot that is out there that isn't true nor accurate. Years ago, at a previous church, I had a, had a, a wonderfully faithful man of God come to me, and he was really upset about what a large, notable church had done in their sanctuary. And he said to me, David, did you hear about fill-in-the-blank church? And I said, no, what, what happened? What's going on? And he said, they have installed a slide that slides you into the baptistry. And I said, no, that can't. That can't be true. That can't be true. It can't be true. And he said, no, no, I, I assure you it's true. Someone sent this to me on Facebook, pulled it out of his pocket, and showed me what you see behind you. I mean, that looks like a fun slide right there that goes right into the baptistry. And I looked at it, and I said, I, I'm not really, I cannot believe that that's actually true, that they've got an orange slide going into the baptistry. And so I looked a little bit more. I took his phone, and I was trying to find the source. And then sure enough, I, I saw that it was an article, and it was shared not only by him, but, but literally thousands of people on Facebook and other social media. And the source of it was the Babylon Bee. Now, some of you laugh because you know what that is, but many of you might not know. I mean, he didn't know. This is probably six years ago. The Babylon Bee is a Christian satire site, and so it's poking fun. This is not true. This church has not put a, a slide that leads you into the baptistry here. It was intended to poke fun. It's an exaggeration of the excesses that can occur in the 21st century church. But he saw it. He was shared with him by people that he loved and cared for. And he said, you know, this must be true. And he was going around and he really was, he was really upset about it. But what did we have to do? We had to say, who, who shared this? Where, where's the source of this? Now, we have to test our sources. More so now than in any moment, it seems in, in human history, it feels as if everything before us, uh, we're, we're, we're not sure if it's uh, the, the, the bent of the source, the bent of the author here, but in the midst of a time where we must be discerning of all sources, isn't it good to know that there is a source that you can thoroughly trust? There is a source that is thoroughly trustworthy, and that is God himself. And so when we open up God's word, we are saying that what we are opening here is not just a collection of opinions, but it is the authoritative word of the creator, redeemer, God, who desires to speak to you and to speak to me through his word. What a comfort to know in the midst of a day of a lot of false information that this that we hold before us is from God. The Bible is God's word. The Bible is also 
true. Notice the repetition of this theme in Psalm 119. Just three verses. Look with me in verse 137 of Psalm 119. That just frames this theme. And then we'll look at Psalm 119, verse 151. But notice in verse 137, Righteous are you, O Lord, and... Do you see that? Right are your rules. Verse 151, but you are near, O Lord, and your commandments are true. The sum, Psalm 119, verse 160, the sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Again, Hebrew poetry has this repetition to make a point. Notice the point that is being made here, that the word of God is right. Not only is the word of God right, but the word of God is true. Not only the word of God is true, but it endures forever. There's a theme that the psalmist wants us to hold on to, and that is the veracity of God's word. The truthfulness of God's word, that we can stand on God's word because it is the ultimate truth spoken to us through him, the Holy Spirit. Baptist faith and message, a confessional statement of Baptist says that the Bible is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. We can hold on to the veracity of God's word. Now, don't misunderstand me. God's word is true. But that doesn't mean that every interpretation of God's word is infallible or inerrant or whatever word that you want to put beside that. Uh, Of course, there are a variety of interpretations of God's word. Uh, Of of course, there are people uh, at times willingly and at times unwillingly because we are fallen human creatures that read God's word and we can misinterpret God's word. I can misinterpret God's word. I have misinterpreted God's word. We, We are fallen human beings reading his word. And because of our proneness to wander, because of our flesh, we can read God's word and be wrong about its interpretation. We always take the Bible seriously, but we don't read the Bible with a wooden literalism. Why? Because it is a literary work. Uh, There are psalms, there are poetry, there are proverbs, there are parables, there's prophecy, there's historical narrative. All of these differing and varying genres of Scripture, they they have different ways that we read it as faithful interpreters of God's Word. And so we take it seriously seriously. No doubt, but we also understand that we must be good readers of God's Word, and we need others to help us be good readers of God's Word. We need the community of saints to be good readers of God's Word. One of the gifts of the Protestant Reformation were the sola, sola scriptura, scripture alone, and we, uh, along with other Protestant denominations, stand on scripture alone, but that doesn't mean that we read the Bible alone. It doesn't mean that the ideal Christian reader of the Bible is a person that takes the Bible and locks himself up into his room and says, this is what God's word means for me. You know know what that can at times create? Cults. And I say that not as an overstatement. 
But oftentimes, cults are born out of an isolated interpretation of Scripture, removed from the accountability of community. We need the great cloud of witnesses for 2,000 years to help us. Now, is the church infallible? Is the church inerrant? The answer is no, but can they be helpful and in showing us interpretive gutter balls that we could be tempted to bowl. Now, I say that because you know, when's the last time you've been bowling? When's the last time you've been bowling with a grandson or a granddaughter or a child that's about three or four? I tell you, a necessity is to put bumpers up when you bowl. Why? Because you'll spend a whole lot of time with a three-year-old, a whole lot of time with a four-year-old trying to fish balls out of the gutters. The church, the community of saints, they're rails that help us see the errors of the past lest we repeat those errors in the present and or the future. We need the community, not just behind us, cheering us on, but we need the community around us. That's why what is central is the Word of God in our prayers as a community here at Dawson. That's why the Word of God is central in our singing here at Dawson. That's why the Word of God is central in the preaching here. Why? Because my opinions don't matter. The Word stands forth. The Word endures the central theme of our worship should be rooted and, and, and centered in thus saith the Lord. So we read with the community behind us. We read with the community uh, beside us. We read the Bible understanding that it is true and our interpretations at times can be false. So we need one another to be faithful readers of the truthful, authoritative Word of God. Thirdly, this morning, we are reminded that the Bible is valuable. Notice with me in Psalm 119, verse 103, this theme. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. I understand the way, I can see the false ways that are before me, Psalm 119, verse 127, therefore I love your commandments. How much does the psalmist love the commandments? Well, far more than gold, above fine gold, that there, there no, there, there's no monetary temptation that is far richer than what we receive in, in the word of God. That there is a value for your life that cannot be commoditized, that we discover when we open the Word of God and not just read it, but what we allow the Spirit of God to read us and to shape us, and we live under the Word and we obey the Word and we seek to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. And what happens is, is we receive the richness of the voice of God speaking to us and, and communing with us through His inspired word. There's a value to that. Kathleen Norris, the wonderful writer and poet, about 20 years ago uh, published a book called Amazing Grace where she told a story of a, a grandfather that gives his grandson a wedding present of, a, of a, a newly minted Bible with his name and his bride's name on it. Months later, they run into each other at Thanksgiving. The grandfather's very insistent. Have you read that Bible that I gave to you as a wedding gift? And they had to plead, well, granddaddy, we've been moving. It's been really busy. We've not been able to open it. He says, make sure you read it. Come back to Christmas. The grandfather once again insists, have, have you read 
the Bible that I gave to you? Well, they said, ah, we have it. We have it in the closet. You need to know, Granddaddy, we have our own Bibles, and we, we're reading our Bibles. We're going to church. I assure you, we're, we're trying to uh, fix our eyes upon Jesus. Well, read that Bible, he said once again. So then you get a little bit nervous. They begin to talk. Well, did you write him a thank you note? Did you write him a thank you note? Just to make sure that they properly acknowledged the gift and they, they were assured that they did. The next time they saw him again, he said, now go home right now and read the Bible. So, so the grandson did as his grandfather had asked him to do. He opened it up and there was an inscription that the grandfather had put in the very cover of the Bible. May you discover the true riches, he said, of this book as you begin your marriage and you live your marriage and you discover the richness of the Word of God. Tilted it up, and out fell a $100 bill. And he noticed at the cover of Genesis that there was a $100 bill, and then he flipped to the beginning of Exodus, and there was a $100 bill. And in each of the 66 books of the Bible, the grandfather had embedded a a, a wedding gift to them in $6,600. But they never would discover it unless they open and read it. It's, it's a trite story in many ways, but it is a good image to remind us that we do not assess the bountiful riches of God's word that are far more valuable than any, any, any dollar amount that you could put on it because the, the book is closed to us. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century British preacher, he, he said it very pointedly when he was preaching at Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle there. He says, there, there are many of you here in the congregation whose Bibles are gathering dust on a shelf, and there's enough dust for you to write with your finger damnation on the cover. Now, we're not saved through the reading of God's Word, but we discover Jesus in God's Word and the richness of following Jesus through God's Word. It is his voice to us. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is pointed to us and communicated to us through the Bible. But we miss the richness and the value and the way that it speaks to us when our ears are closed and our eyes are closed and the Bible is shut. And even at times when we, when we read the Bible, but, but we're hearers, but we're not doers, and we don't submit to the Word of God, we miss its value for each and every day of our lives. My question to you is, is, is the Bible of your life, is it, is it open or is it closed? Are you walking in the richness of his voice and the details of your life? Or are you open to a book that desires to shape you and to mold you? Or are you closed and you say, I've got this. The Bible is valuable. The Bible is true. The Bible is God's word. And finally this morning, as we bring it back to that image of being lost in Falls Canyon... Of Psalm 119, verse 105, that reminds us the Bible is a light to guide our steps. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet, and it is a light to my path. Notice the imagery here, that the Bible helps us see where to step. It helps us see below us, because, because there are roots that could trip you up. There are stones that you could trip over in the world in which we, we, we traverse. 
And we have to be sure-footed followers of Jesus. And the Word of God helps us know where to step. But the Word of God goes before us and it illumines a path. Because why? There are paths that, that are detours that we should not travel as followers of Jesus. And, and the Word of God helps us avoid the world's paths and stay on God's path. The, the Word of God is, is, is active not only below us, but active before us and showing us how to live and be shaped by the Word of God. But again, if, if we don't open the Word of God and open our hearts to the Word of God, we live life with, without the light of the Word that desires to guide us. A few years ago, we moved into our home here in the Birmingham area, and we were having to buy some furniture for the boys' rooms. And so instead of going and getting uh, finished uh, uh, dressers for the boys, we, Danielle said, I, I found some dressers on, uh, at Ikea that I'm going to get shipped here. And so I said, that, well, that's great, you know, that's, that's wonderful. It's a great price. Well, um, these dressers that are like five feet, they came to our house and they were in a box that was like that tall right there. So I knew, have you ever done this? I, I didn't know what I was getting into with Ikea. I thought we were saving a bunch of money. I didn't realize that I had to take three weeks of work off to be able to put these <laughs> dressers together. So, uh, so I, I, I opened the box, and I mean, there's all of these flat things that I've got to put together, and I was, I mean, I was definitely excited about it. And so uh, I thought, well, this is sort of a challenge here, and I, I saw the instructions, but I thought, I mean, it's just a dresser. Surely, I've got this. I mean, I, I took shop in the eighth grade. I can do this without instructions here. And you know where this story is going. I, in my proud thought, that I could just intuitively figure out how this fit together. But the, the intricacy of all of the shelving and all of the backing and all of the screws, there, there was a rhyme and reason. And for me to ignore the instructions was to my own peril and to an absolute waste of my time. And so I get halfway finished with one without the instructions, and guess where it went? I, I had to disassemble it and go back to the instructions, and thankfully, I had a second dresser to do the right way, right? Well, well we live life like that. In our pride, we say, God, I got this. I don't, I don't need the instructions. Do you know how much wisdom I have? I've got this, God. And it is to our peril. And it is to our blindness as we walk through life with the perils that are below us and the uncertainty that is before us. And, and we walk through life in the darkness, fumbling our way when an open Bible shows us the path. My, my question to you is, is, is how are you going through life. The word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Or are you walking through life with a, your own feeble flashlight trying to find your way? Are you allowing the lamp and the light of God's word to illumine your path? Now, some of you are here and you say, well, well, David, I've got some big decisions to make. I mean, can I open up God's word and just turn to a Bible passage? And it, and it tells me, should I take that accounting firm position in Atlanta or should I stay here in Birmingham? I mean, can I just open the Proverbs and just flip there and say, there it is. God's told me in the 
the Word, or, or I've got to decide. Am I going to go to Alabama, or am I going to go to Auburn? Do I just open up to the book of Romans, and it says, go to Tuscaloosa, or go to Auburn? I mean, how, I, I said this in the second sermon, and uh, somebody is, was leaving. He was like, yeah, I opened my Bible. I don't know what Bible you're reading, but my Bible says, roll tide, only in Alabama, only in Alabama. I can't even give that illustration without somebody coming up to me saying, in the book of Crimson, I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay, you get, you get my point. You get my point right there. So, um, but but how, how do we interpret the details of our lives here? Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, that, that when we open God's word, it is not a magic eight ball. You remember this from junior high? Should I go to the dance? Uh, should I ask Susie to the dance? And you shake it up and it gives you an answer right there. Some of us, we treat the Bible like this kind of magic eight ball. Like it's a secret formula there we open up God's word and it tells us all the details of what we would want to know. The Bible isn't a secret formula for your life. It, it, isn't, it isn't waiting to be unlocked to tell you every little detail, should you go left or should you go right? Rather, we submit to the word of God and the spirit of God forms us into the character of the son of God. And as we are open to the light of scripture for our life, here is the will of God for your life that you would think more like Jesus. Act more like Jesus. Look more like Jesus. And you say, well, David, I've got a lot of decisions to make. Well, of course you have decisions to make. And what the will of God for your life is, is to seek first the kingdom of God. And all of these things will be added unto you. Romans chapter 12. Stop being conformed to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve God's will for your life, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There are some times that we miss the point. We miss the forest for the trees. We spend so much time saying, should I go right? Should I go left? Should I take this? Should I not take this? We become paralyzed with the details, and we miss the point that the will of God for your life is to be shaped into the character of Jesus. And when you submit yourself to the word of God and you submit yourself to, to, to the obedience of the word, he, he clears the path and he shows us the light to take. Now, there's much more that we need to say about this. There's much more that we need to say about the wisdom to make those right decisions. And guess what? That's why we have a whole other sermon next Sunday. We're going to talk about that. But until then, be reminded of the will of God for your life, which is the pursuit of Jesus in and through the word. So until next week, be encouraged that what we open our hearts to is the word of God. It is true. It is valuable, and it is a light to God, each and every one of us who submit ourselves to it. Let us pray.